Now, let me share with you that the moment you have all been waiting for, for the official coronation of Lois as Commodore is not right now, it's tomorrow. But we're delighted to have her with us today uh, on our esteemed panel. So thank you to everybody for joining us to uh, what is really uh, a top-level panel on, uh, on a sector that is getting tremendous attention right now. And also, I'd like to extend the congratulations to Lars for uh, his uh, new uh, role. Uh, thank you to everybody for joining. Uh, some of you, like Harris and, and, and Lars, of course, are, uh, and Stuart, quite late. Uh, anyway, so I will uh, turn it over to our, I mean, Bob and I and Lois are in New York, but the rest of you are around the world. Randy, take over and guide us through. And thank you to everybody. For, uh, for being with us. Thank you, Nicholas. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks Thank for the you. introduction, uh, Nicholas, and thanks for everyone to tune in. Uh, so my name is uh, Randy Givens, head of the Energy Maritime Shipping Equity Research uh, team here at Jefferies. So, so on today's star-studded panel, you know, we have five crew tanker owners uh, ready, willing, and able uh, to talk about one of the most necessary and exciting industries, uh, certainly volatile in the world, crude oil shipping. So on the panel, I'll do a brief <laughs> introduction. We have Lars Barstad, the CEO, the new CEO of Frontline Management, Mrs. Lois Zabraki, CEO of International Seaways, Bob Burke, partner and CEO of Ridgebury Tankers, Stuart Andrade, CFO of TK Tankers, and Harris Kosmatos, Corporate Development Officer of Chacos Energy Navigation. So hopefully all of you, you know, make this panel a, a little easier to moderate than some of the recent presidential debates. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, we're gonna start with a little bit of background information, get into some of the industry drivers, talk about some of your companies specifically, and then obviously get into some of the hot topics uh, of the day. So with that, let's start. You know, I've, uh, over the past 12 months, you know, tanker rates have looked like uh, the heart rate uh, of my, my workouts, right? Extreme highs, extreme lows. So we know what drove the, the massive highs in the spring with all of the floating storage and just the crazy disconnects of supply and demand in the heat of COVID back in April. But what is kind of driving the current weakness? And more importantly, when will it improve? So looking ahead to maybe the rest of the year into 2021, what are some of the most important demand side catalysts uh, that the market should look for? So Lois, as Commodore um, in waiting coming up here, uh, I'll ask you to kick things off. Yeah, thank you very much, Randy. Definitely, as we head into the fourth quarter, being at 93 million barrels a day of consumption versus uh, 101, something like that, a year ago, with COVID still not really uh, letting hold of its grasp on, on a lot of the world's population, that's really a part of what's dampening rates. But in addition to that, we've got some destocking going on as OPEC is holding back and you know the demand levels have come up somewhat and and now you know we are in that destocking period which you particularly see in in the United States so as we move forward and hopefully we will see a couple of additional million barrels a day of demand here in the fourth quarter seasonally and refineries coming out of turnaround margins improving we'll start to see an alleviation of some of the uh, crude tanker rates. Okay. 
And then when it comes to kind of that floating storage, uh, what we saw, obviously, the peak of both onshore storage and offshore storage back in the summer, um, that has certainly trended a little bit lower. But then you start to see a widening of that Brent forward curve spread. So, Lars, can you uh, speak on that a little bit in terms of what you're seeing in uh, regards to storage, both onshore and in floating storage? Well, I, I tend to kind of primarily focus on the on the floating one. Um, kind of what what we saw this uh, this cycle was obviously a build up in commercial floating storage type carry trade, uh, but we also or what we didn't notice kind of as quickly potentially was was the fact that uh, north of China ended up uh, you know kind of with quite a lot of uh, oil on the water. Um, and you know a combination of uh, potential uh, infrastructure challenges uh, delays kind of related to other matters but also storage of crude so so uh, and I think actually in the latter part of this cycle we are drawing now you know we are seeing vessels that have been engaged on storage being released uh, you know ships are not being extended um, and so forth so 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 we are we are drawing but um, but I think kind of the, mo the most sticky part of this are those vessels that are uh, kind of being delayed for one reason or another uh, in North China. Sure. And then when it comes to kind of rates, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've, we've seen some wild swings uh, here in rates. Now, current broker reports are, are in our view, misleading, but hopefully uh, you can kind of give some color on that. Uh, we'll start with you, Stuart. Right. Broker reports are showing VLCCs at maybe 15,000 a day, Suez Max's below 5,000 a day, Affirmax rates below 3,000 a day. You know, are, are those rates you're actually fixing, um, you know, below OPEX or kind of, can you quantify some of your current rates and why maybe there is a disconnect between what you're earning and what the brokers are reporting? Yeah, so, so fortunately the rates that we're achieving are higher than the broker reports. Um, you know, the brokers look at a simple round trip voyage and in particular on Aframaxes and Suez Maxes, there's triangulation that goes on. We get our utilization uh, well above 50% and that certainly contributes to, to higher rates. Um, we've also um, got um, a lot of vessels that end up on demerge with delays and that sort of thing. And demerge rates are typically much, much higher than the, than the, uh, the three to $5,000 that you're mentioning for Aframaxes and Suez Maxes. So, um, you know, overall, I would say definitely in the in the teens, probably in terms of in terms of actual returns. But you know, it's a voyage by voyage thing, and you know, there's a lot of volatility that moves around. So where that number is uh, seven days from now might be a little bit different than than where it is today. But um, typically in a in a weak tanker market, yeah, we, you know, we do outperform where the brokers where the brokers put the market, and conversely in a in a really high tanker market, as they report sort of the top fixtures, you know, you don't quite reach those levels either. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that was kind of my explanation to some clients saying, yeah, in April, nobody was earning 250000 a day, but in September, no one was earning $2,500 a day, right? So, so somewhere in between. Would other owners kind of corroborate on that, um, chartering well above OPEX at these levels? I, I wouldn't be as, uh, you know, uh, bold to say, well, above OPEX, yes, for sure. But uh, we're not, you know, uh, it's... Um, Kind of over a fleet, you balance it out, uh, but there are, you know, there are round trips that are being made in this market, in the spot market, uh, that reflect uh, the broker reports indeed. But uh, you have more options than just doing the indices, to put it that way. 
So, so, um, so, I, I, you know, over a fleet, we, you, you are still well above OPEX. Sure. And uh, Randy, you make it sound as if uh, we're in the doldrums, that uh, tankers are uh, uh, in, in the beginning of a big uh, crisis. Uh, and nothing, uh, uh, nothing like that. Uh, these rates uh, that uh, we see reported, uh, as uh, Stuart very rightly uh, mentioned, are for a particular voyage uh, for a specific period of time. Uh, uh, so uh, we're talking about spot, uh, spot uh, cargo, spot trips. Uh, that you know last for you know a few days or a week or two. Uh, they are indicative of the trend. Uh, yes, the, the the market today is going through the soft, uh, if if you like, the the, the soft patch of, of of the year. Uh, we are at uh, at uh, the uh, seasonal lows. Uh, however, uh, we do expect and we do believe and we do see uh, much firmer rates than uh, than uh, those reported. So, uh, yes, the, the, the indication is that the market has softened from the highs of uh, March and April. Uh, but, uh, you know, owners uh, uh, do achieve uh, uh, much healthier rates, especially uh, those ones that have uh, a strategy like ourselves to, 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 to fix the vessels on a longer term uh, contract basis. Uh, however, uh, if, uh, if an owner uh, is more spot oriented, uh, obviously, you know, uh, through the period that, uh, that uh, uh, a particular vessel will, will play the spot market, you're gonna have, you know, uh, some low rates and uh, some high rates and hopefully some very high rates. And uh, we do expect, and we do kind of see that uh, as we move uh, close into the winter period, uh, eventually the fundamentals, the very healthy fundamentals in the tanker market will gradually begin to translate into much healthier rates uh, both uh, in uh, uh, both in uh, spot and uh, and eventually in uh, longer term contracts. Uh, so all in all, we're not worried uh, at all, uh, and uh, and we look forward to uh, uh, you know to to passing this uh, uh, you know uh, soft period and entering you know the seasonally high period. So overall, we are very optimistic that the market will eventually be uh, will turn into our favor. Okay. I I, um, I disagree a bit. Uh, the market will eventually turn into our favor. It always does. Um, and the best cure for low prices is low prices, as they say. But I think there's a structural problem in the market. Um, I don't think anyone on the screen here today has ever experienced an 8% decline in, in demand. That seems to be um, semi-permanent. Uh, fortunately, we're in a business where about 5% of the ships on average each year go away. Uh, we know the order book is low, but as I said before, we went live when you're looking for a, a low order book to save you on the spot market, then you're really, you know, grasping for straws. But I think, um, you know, we, we are down about 8 million barrels a day. And as uh, when people ask me why, I think there's one answer and that's airplanes. It's like when uh, mm -hmm. Dustin Hoffman was in the graduate and the guy at the cocktail party said plastics. Um, I think our answer is airplanes and the uh, barrel for barrel uh, correlation seems almost, well, it seems very, uh, highly correlated to airplane travel, especially long haul travel. And everything I read shows that the cars are back. Um, they'll come back even stronger. So that'll pick up. On the airplane side, you're going to see less kids from the States going to Europe to go abroad, less tour groups, um, less bopping around the continent for a weekend. Um, all these things, even though they may be safe, I think in, in the, you know, in the psychology of the consumer is going to be put uh, off the shelf till next year. And then maybe a little bit longer and a little bit longer. Um, it's going to be a lot more uh, pain to see that section come, see that sector come back. 
and that's a that's a big driver in our industry. Yeah, Robert, and I, I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I think there's you know there's a number of factors that are weighing on the market right now. Some of them are things that will probably be with us, um, like uh, airline travel, as Bob said, that will be with us for quite some time. We're going to take a while for those things to work their, their way out of the system, and we don't know when or how quickly that will that will occur. And there are things like vessels on floating storage and coming back into the fleet, which are depressing rates, which are probably more of a uh, shorter term phenomenon, probably not as long as, as it'll take for airline travel to come back. So there are a number of things operating um, that, are, that are affecting rates right now. And, and um, you know, different ones will, will, work, will work them through the system in different ways. Um, you know, when the oil markets um, rebalance and inventories come down, that'll be a, a great help to us. So. Um, you know, as, as usual, there, it's, a, it's a relatively complex situation to work through. Well, and, and very, uh, sorry, Lois, go ahead. Um, as, as Bob says, usually have 5% uh, per year of the fleet coming out. But as we know, in uh, 19 uh, and, and really 20, we, we haven't seen very many recycling candidates. And, you know, when we run the analysis on history, not that it necessarily repeats, but it usually takes at least six months of... Um, you know, a, a depressed environment to really start to see vessels start to recycle as, as owners look at, okay, hey, you know, how much do I have to put into this 15 or 17 and a half or 20 year old tanker or, or older than that. So I, I, I do think that at the levels that we're at, um, we, we should start to see some vessels taken out of the market, which we haven't seen, you know, probably 18 months. Two, 218, I think, was, our, was the big year where we really saw a lot of uh, vessels that, that you know, were made obsolete. I'm sorry, Harry, go ahead. No, no, just, uh, just a compliment on uh, what all of you said and, uh, and uh, perhaps on, uh, Rob's, on Bob's uh, uh, point. The, uh, uh, structurally, uh, yes, uh, things have changed uh, for the worse uh, due to the, uh, to the COVID, obviously, implications, and, uh, and demand has decreased by about 10% uh, from, uh, from uh, the peaks uh, at, at the end of 2019. Uh, however, uh, what we're seeing now, we're seeing the gradual uh, uh, regaining of those losses. Uh, we are probably in the 90s from, uh, uh, you know, the uh, high 80s, low 90s. We're probably in the 93, 94 million uh, barrels today from the, uh, you know, the peak of uh, 101. Uh, so we are gradually seeing those new additional barrels uh, being, uh, being seen into, in, in, into the maritime sector. And, uh, and uh, you know, all of us on the panel, and, and, uh, and I think it's very important for the audience, especially the investors that are looking into the sector, uh, to think that, you know, all of us, all the companies here in the panel are in shipping for the long haul, for the long term. Uh, all of us have been around forever, and, uh, and uh, I think, fingers crossed, all of us will stay in, uh, in shipping forever or at least the companies, not necessarily us. But, uh, uh, so, uh, sort, you know, blips that uh, we're seeing today in the market uh, uh, are part and parcel of our industry. Uh, so, yes, structurally, on, on, on the oil side, uh, things have, uh, have uh, taken uh, a turn for the worse. However, structurally, on the tanker side, on the physical asset side, uh, things are shaping up to be uh, uh, to, uh, to make tanker, uh, the tanker driver, uh, drivers uh, 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 one of the best uh, probably times uh, since uh, recent memory. I mean, don't forget that despite, you know, the $5,000 rates that Grandi mentioned or the $2,500 rates that, uh, that uh, certain uh, spot uh, routes are, are, are producing, still today, uh, uh, to this day, 
the VLCC, the Suez Max, the Afro Maxes have earned historical high rates on average. I mean, we're looking at close to $55,000 year-to-day average for, uh, for VLs. Uh, something like, you know, $35,000 for, uh, for uh, uh, you know, for, for the Swiss Maxes. And uh, again, something like, or, you know, 30 to 35 for, for the Swiss Maxes. And somewhere in the low to mid, uh, mid uh, 25s for, uh, for, uh, for uh, you know, Afro Maxes. These are not bad rates. Uh, for a VLCC, when you have a break-even of you know twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven thousand dollars, your your vessel has earned almost double its break-even through the period of the of, of the global lockdowns uh, and uh, and uh, the COVID crisis. So things are not as bad as as people look. If you take uh, if if you widen the scope of uh, of uh, uh, your analysis. Yeah, so 2020 is certainly going to go down as a great year, uh, right? And obviously, the fourth quarter there are some short-term uh, headwinds coming into the sector. Uh, and we'll get to supply and, and the positives of that outlook in a second. But before we do, just by a show of hands, uh, we don't need any words, looking at the one-year time charter market, the market is saying over the next year, rates will average $27,000, $28,000 a day. Does anyone or who here expects the 2021, let's just call it, average VOCC rate to be above $28,000 a day? To be above. Yep. One, two, two and a half. What about 35,000 a day? Anybody say 35,000, 2021 average? Okay, so not that high. What about Suez Maxis? One year time charter is 17, 18,000 a day. Above that for 2021? Across the board, 25,000 a day. Anybody say Suez Maxis will average 25? All right, so you're looking at, okay, we got one. <laughs> Okay, we got two. All right, I'm not going to ask any higher. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We might have some, some deal flow. All right, well, um, so, okay. So not, not terrible year, obviously not replicating 2020, um, but still pretty decent 21. Now, turning to the order book, you know, I think that was mentioned briefly here, and as, as part of the silver lining, maybe, uh, to COVID, there just hasn't been much ordering at all. Um, basically, the order book's down to a 23-year low, something like this. So I guess, Harry, we'll start with you. You know, Chacos recently ordered some new buildings. Uh, so I guess, what are your thoughts on ordering, uh, where the order book is today, where it's going? And then I'll switch over to Bob. Uh, what are your thoughts on scrapping? So Harris, start. Yep. Uh, well, as you know, we have uh, built uh, the company from uh, three vessels to close to 70 vessels a day by ordering vessels. Uh, the, uh, over the last uh, few years, uh, all the orders that uh, we have placed are against long-term contracts. And uh, this, this remains the, uh, you know, the, the strategic philosophy of the company when it comes to ordering. And uh, uh, besides uh, the, uh, uh, the, the employment uh, attached, it's very important for us uh, to, uh, uh, to know that we're going to have the client uh, with us along, you know, uh, along the way. So it's very important uh, to always uh, contract the vessel with uh, high-end uh, blue chip clientele. And uh, we've been very successful uh, over, the, you know, over, over the life of the company to uh, always uh, be associated with uh, the top-notch uh, charters. So for us, it's very important uh, before we place an order to have a contract attached. Uh, we, are, we have been very vocal against uh, the, the speculative ordering, uh, even though today uh, uh, some people uh, may be enticed to, to, 
to place a speculative order just because of, of, of the very low order book today, uh, probably the lowest in 20 years. Uh, however, uh, because the company, uh, the, the way 10 uh, uh, has uh, shaped over the years, is to cater uh, to the needs of the big oil majors. And, uh, and uh, uh, to this effect, uh, we will order any vessel uh, our clients will want. So we will not necessarily uh, make the decision internally, if you like, to go out and order, I don't know, two Swiss Maxis or five VLs or, you know, three Afro Maxis. Uh, it it, it uh, all... Uh, all, all will uh, depend on, on the needs of our, of, of our customers. Uh, and this is how we have uh, uh, you know, done it in the past. I mean, I'll, uh, let me remind you that we have built uh, nine Aframax vessels for Equinor, the Extat Oil. Uh, it wasn't us deciding to, uh, that we wanted to expand in Aframax, it was Stat Oil that wanted to build uh, those vessels. So this is how we, we, we view growth vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, you know, new, uh, uh, new building growth. Uh, so that's something that we will continue to see. Uh, we are a company uh, always focused on growth, uh, and uh, and uh, as long as we get a good, accretive, uh, 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 you know, sticky, solid uh, charters, uh, we have the financial capacity, we have the financial muscle, we have the, the access to capital uh, to go out and, uh, in a modest, responsible way, uh, go out and uh, and build the vessels necessary to to carry those cargos. Bob, what about scrapping? You know, you have a very average, the industry has a very average, a very old average fleet age, a lot of vessels coming up to their 20 year, 22 and a half year, uh, special surveys, what have you. We can see a scrapping pickup. I think, um, first of all, you know, we all talk about how the market's going to look next year. I think, you know, most of these trends or people, analysts often draw out how long it'll take to recover for, you know, for demand or for supply, and they tend to write themselves faster than we think. So I think, um, you know, scrapping is a part, certainly a part of that. Um, you know, we've had older ships and it's a really interesting dynamic as ships get older, especially the big ships with a lot of steel. You're looking at two very volatile markets, uh, the VL market, the freight market, and the scrap market. And the difference between 300 bucks a ton and 500 bucks a ton, we all know is 200 bucks. But for people who aren't um, directly in the VL business, that's 200 times 40,000. It's about an $8 million difference in your scrap price. So what drives the, what drives the uh, demand for the, or the uh, what drives the owners to scrap is the volatility of the scrap price, as well as the volatility in the freight market and, you know, the waypoints along the way for um, special surveys. So to answer your question, um, there are issues on the subcontinent with scrapping with COVID. So that's held back a lot of the scrapping activity. Uh, us owners are full of cash. And like anyone else with a pocket full of cash, you tend to, be inclined to take another bet if you have the opportunity. So there's been a bit of a resistance to scrapping, even when uh, it may be the natural choice in a di more difficult market. Um, so as Lois pointed out, uh, I don't think any bees have been scrapped this year. Maybe one, none. It's either one or zero. And last year was a handful. So there is pent up uh, supply of ships that should be scrapped. A lot of the older ships went into storage and we're waiting for that to unwind. Um, you know, which is a threat to the supply of tankers coming into the market. But I think with rates where they are, a lot of those ships are 18, 19, 20 year old ships in storage. And as they unwind, they'll probably go right to the scrapyard. Um, okay. The price of scrap uh, is getting healthier, but the expense of scrapping is getting higher because of all the ESG compliance issues, which, you know, as responsible owners, we have to, um, we have to conform to, you know, above and beyond what maybe someone else might. All right, and a quick show of hands, expectations for 2021 
annual fleet growth below 1%? Anybody think the annual fleet growth below 1% next year? All right, 1% to 3%. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I think, yeah. So, so all right, 2%. Anyone expect annual fleet growth to exceed 2% next year? No. <laughs> so a very low hurdle uh, for... Uh, better not. Uh, better not. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right, I well... Think, uh, I, think it, I think importantly, Randy, that this is, a, just quickly, that this is a multi-year story. Um, you know, there's the next year and what's going to happen, and there's the fact that we haven't seen much scrapping. But if you look at the Aframax LR2 fleet, for example, 37% of it is above 15 years old. There was a lot of ordering in the early 2000s. So this is a multi-year story that will underline the, the tanker market and, and I believe help, help create a healthy environment for the, for the next few years. So we've all been fortunate enough to generate a lot of cash flow and have pretty healthy balance sheets. And I think you know, the, the age of the global fleet and the lack of scrapping uh, recently means that we're going to be in a good position going forward. The exact timing of it and what exactly happens over the next 12 months, I think, is, you know, it's, you know, debatable and there'll be lots of things that will act on that. Sure. I think one thing I, we have, I, I just, course, is the, um, the uh, I'm sorry, one quick comment, Lars, uh, is a lack of outside capital that's likely to come into the market. Uh, there's a lot of pushback against carbon, a lot of pushback against energy complex in general. The energy stocks are down. The PE groups who raise money for energy are having a hard time. Returns over years, not just in our sector and shipping, but uh, energy in, in general have been dismal. So we're not going to, I don't think we can see a huge influx of uh, capital market money or uh, PE money coming in and ordering 10, 20 ships to throw. Yep. It's going to be mostly organic, which should, should in theory drive our returns up. Sorry, Lars. And and uh, I, I, I just wanted quickly to, to, first of all, in Norway, we call it recycling, not scrapping. Um, and uh, uh, no, I just want to say that the, the picture on recycling is maybe a little bit colluded by all the extensions given kind of during the COVID crisis. Um, because obviously you have your 20 year yeah. survey, which is normally a hard stop for, for, for most, unless you have a, con a storage contract in hand or something like that. And obviously a lot of these uh, vessels that are the 2000 builds that were supposed to go through 20 year um, kind of service this year have gotten extensions and are on storage and will be released. And that's maybe when we will start to see the numbers. Got it. All right, Lars, staying with you. Uh, speaking of new build ordering, you know, hopefully no one's looking at that, but if you had to order a new building, do you go conventional oil? Do you go with or without a scrubber? Do you go LNG powered? Um, do you put a battery on that thing? Like, what are, what are you looking at in terms of new build ordering? Well, if I, if I, if I had to, um, well, first of all, it depends a little bit about the vessel class, but because there are differences there. VLCC. But, uh, but, but let's just talk VLCCs out of these. And, and I think kind of the only uh, you know, viable technology to choose right now would be dual fuel. And, and there are dual fuel technologies out there now, uh, you know, with a very minimum methane slip. And on the VLCC, you can actually fit LNG tanks on, on the deck. So, so I think that's the only viable kind of option to go as it is right now. You know, there, there will be other technologies and all the other solutions coming on. But, but uh, you know, that's probably where my money would be if I had to make that decision. But then again, I think this is what is keeping us back from, from, from going to the yards and order ships. It's basically, uh, you know, we are in uncharted territory. Uh, both regards to re regulations and, and also there is a technology race out there. You know, what will be the pr propulsion going forward? Got it. All right. And then uh, we only have about 10 or 15 minutes. But um, yesterday on the products tanker panel, you know, Bugby's not here to interrupt. So uh, he was very boisterous and everyone was of product tankers. Are, 
<laughs> Robert. Robert, not you, Robert Bush. So you, but you also had even Tony Gurney and then um, everybody on that panel was saying products tankers are certainly the best positioned. You're having these refineries closer to the produ production areas. Uh, you're gonna have longer haul tonnage for refined products tankers. That is the sector to win. Lois, I'll turn it to you because you own, you operate yeah. crew tankers and refined products. So, uh, you know, kind of asking you to pick your favorite child here. But which, yeah. which sector is better positioned? Is it yeah, yeah refined products, uh, sure, or is crude um, arguably better? I mean, I, I have said many times, I think that the whole complex holds together very closely. And indeed, for crude carriers, uh, for our market to recover, you know, we also look for uh, refinery margins to improve, right? But even the refined product sector is not one sector in my mind, right? So... You know, if you want to talk about, you know, who has added the most refineries, it is by and far China in the last two to three years has brought online over two million barrels a day of production. When they bring their refineries online, they run them. They run them beyond what China's uh, internally consuming and they export MR cargoes or LR cargoes. So, you know, right there, that's a V move in and that's um, a product carrier move out. You do see there's a new refinery coming on in Saudi. It's, I think it's another 400,000 barrels a day. That tends to be very good for LR2s. I bet that's going to make Stewart happy because LR2s and Afras, you can't talk about one without the other. There's 1,100 of them, three, 400 LR2s. Um, they go clean. They go dirty. They go where the money is. So, you know, to me, the MR market is distinct. It's very um, interregional, right? You know, you've got the, the U.S. Gulf, the Latin, South America market. You've got the uh, Asian market. So I feel like the whole complex holds together. And, you know, overall, the preponderance of our tonnage is on the crude side. Uh, th that is by design. You know, you know here, in the, here in the States, Randy, um, as you know, Boston has a big rivalry with New York. Bostonians are always comparing themselves to New York. New York doesn't know Boston exists. And I, so I'm glad yeah. the guys were, you know, all up in arms comparing themselves to us yesterday, but I hadn't, you know, given that a thought. But uh. <laughs> that's fair. Austin and New York, neither are playing baseball right now. I think Houston still is. But um, yes, I digress. Um, that, that's fair. That's a fair uh, comment. Now, when it looks at um, ESG, you know, that was kind of where I was alluding to in terms of ordering. What are your companies doing to prepare for ESG? Is that even... Um, as hard as you work at ESG, you're carrying crude oil, right? How can a shipping company comply or, or maybe advertise itself as ESG friendly? Anybody? I know Lois well, has done some ESG financing. Uh, with oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, you know, the, the ESG financing, I mean, uh, you know, most of us here participated in the Global Maritime Forum, which we're just coming off of. Um, you know, uh, the, the decarbonization efforts are just escalating and the amount of time that all of us and our technical guys are spending on uh, regulatory uh, developments that, that IMO is, is getting out there for the existing fleet in EXI, in addition to EEDI, it, it is massive, right? So um, all, all of this is coming at us, uh, you know, very quickly. And I think everyone on this panel is, is taking it very seriously. When looking at OPEC, IEA, BP, Total, all of whom now do a 2050 study, you know, when you look at everything, uh, whether you're 
OPEC and IEA and you're looking at like 109 million barrels a day in 2030, or uh, you're, you're, even if you're BP, who's the most um, bearish on, on oil carriage, you're still at 2030, you're still 100 million barrels a day of uh, production. So I think that everybody on the panel is going to have plenty of crude to carry over the next, uh, next decade and beyond. Okay. Stuart, so my, maybe, yeah, on, on ESG, I think, you know, it's a, it's a global phenomenon. It's hitting every country, every industry. And just because we ship crude oil doesn't mean that we're not a participant in that. So I think everybody and all industries are moving in a certain direction. And we're certainly moving in that same direction as well. You know, it started with, with um, energy efficiency and um, improving the efficiency of our vessels. All of our ships burn uh, less fuel now than they did 10 or 15 years ago, and that will continue. At TK, we've signed on to the UN Global uh, Compact. Um, we think that's an important thing to do. We support those. We support their their 10 priorities, um, and we've had sustainability as one of our core values for 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 many years. So I don't think it's about um, transporting crude oil, and therefore ESG doesn't fit. ESG has has to fit for everybody, and it's all about from where the baseline is now. And making and making improvements, and you know ESG is is multifaceted as well, right? It's it's there's a lot involved there. So um, I, I don't think it's a question of whether it fits. I think it's a necessity, and it's the reality of the world, and that's the way we're moving. And we're all need to be on board and 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 support it. Okay. That's my. Turn. I, I I fully agree with the Stuart there, but I just wanted to add that uh, you know although we we do kind of uh, carry cargoes that might not be be kind of uh, in favor right now. Um, kind of ESG wise, but we do it in a very efficient way. So kind of yes. the volume we managed to move uh, with the kind of relatively little energy uh, that, you know, people kind of lose that a little bit in the context there. So yeah. being it, uh, whether if you're a tanker or a box ship owner or whatever you do, we, it is actually an efficient way of transporting stuff. And we, you know, the world needs stuff to be transported. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, uh, go ahead, Rob. Um, you know, ESG came, didn't come out of the blue, but it's sort of blown up the past few years. And I think we make, you know, all these efforts to increase uh, fuel efficiency, life cycle efficiency, uh, recycling efficiency and safety. And the challenge is to do it properly and uh, make it a competitive advantage for each of the companies here and also to get a better face for the industry as a whole, yep. which is extremely challenging because we never get into the press until there's a problem. They don't mention, for example, Lars, how efficient we are compared to moving stuff by rail car. It doesn't come up. Yeah, we just come up when times are bad. I think, uh, I think, Ron, it's very important to highlight that, uh, uh, I mean, we're talking about ESG, especially the E uh, uh, part of, uh, of that acronym, uh, uh, as if it's something new, as if uh, it's uh, an issue that we, we need to face uh, today and, uh, and uh, uh, change our kind of course uh, for the future. I mean, don't forget that shipping, that tanker shipping, has been on the forefront of reinventing it itself over the last you know, decades uh, in order to meet the ever-changing needs of environmental regulations. So it's not something new. I mean, shipping tankers, you know, you go back to OPA 90 uh, when the double hull design had to, uh, uh, had to be implemented. All of these changes and, uh, and, uh, and uh, from that point onwards have been in order to address the, uh, the environmental needs uh, uh, at a specific point in time. And, uh, and uh, I, I think uh, all of us, that, uh, that they want to have a lasting uh, kind of uh, power, if you like, in, in uh, tanker shipping, will 
address uh, any uh, uh, upcoming issues that needs uh, th that needs to be addressed uh, concurrently with our charters. And, uh, and uh, uh, it's important that uh, shipping and tankers uh, will not be the guinea pigs. All of us, we need to contribute because in the end of the day, the ships need, need, and the companies need to make a return, and this in return to be in business. We're not, uh, uh, you know, a, a, the guinea pig for, uh, for, for the world. Uh, all of us need, need to benefit. All right, we've got about five more minutes. Uh, I have two more questions. A lot of them are in the Q&A and I'm going to roll into one kind of deal. Um, so just looking at the, the industry, this has been a, a theme for the 10 years that I've been covering the space, consolidation, right? Like um, there's been some, there hasn't been enough. Um, right now you have public equities trading at 20, 30, 40, 50% uh, discounts to NAV. You have private owners looking to maybe offload a handful of uh, vessels. You have uh, I think the in the Q&A here, um, the Shipping Corporation of India uh, apparently is now for sale. The government put that up. So what are your thoughts on consolidation? What's holding the industry back from consolidating? Um, everyone says, oh, consolidation is good, just not for us, right? Uh, give some color on that. Three minutes. I, I don't think the math works. If you consolidate and you have five companies left, they still beat each other's brains out. And um, mm -hmm. it takes a small group of people to buy a ship and outsource the... the, the um, you know, the, the disciplines, the chartering and the technical business. So I, I think it's it's not going to raise our rates. That's my two cents. Okay. I think the industry is too fragmented to, uh, for any meaningful consolidation to, uh, to have an impact. Yes, certainly we, we are very, uh, you know, fragmented, but I, I do think the, the amount of R&D and collaboration could potentially lead to um, M&A because we're going to have to spend a higher amount of our uh, balance sheets basically uh, innovating going forward. Yep. Yeah, I think consolidation will occur. I think it does occur and I think it will occur when the numbers make sense and there's value to doing it. I think if there was huge value to mass consolidation in the industry, I think you'd see more significant consolidation in the industry. And I think the fact that you don't see a huge amount of it I think, to my mind, is a, is pretty indicative of, of of the question mark that exists on you know how much value that brings. Sure. All right. So we have uh, two more minutes. Uh, last question here. Obviously, the last nine to arguably twelve months, really, um, were very good, and everyone's cash balances are inflated now. Balance sheets are much improved. So it's no longer a hypothetical question. What would you do with extra cash? Right. You have extra cash. So. Assuming that keeping it on the balance sheet is not allowed, what do you do with it? I want each of you to answer in the two minutes we have remaining here. Um, do you buy shares? Do you buy secondhand vessels? Do you just pay down debt aggressively? Or do you go and order new buildings? So of those four options, uh, I know there's a million options. Uh, what say you? Lois, start us off. Yeah, we, we think that our uh, shares today where they're trading represent very good value. And uh, in, in, in time during this cycle of this uh, downturn, we, we will look to refleet. Okay, Lars? Well, we, we historically, we wanna kind of pay back uh, our shareholders, um, you know, basically give them return on their investment. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, and that's basically normally what we do. Um, the, the, uh, but obviously we wanna, grow as well, but we are facing the challenges, uh, the technolo techno technological challenges that we've described before, that it's, you know, going out and ordering uh, an asset that's supposed to live for 20 years, 
with the current regulatory environment and a lot of unknowns going forward. Not on the market, I'm pretty confident on the market. I'm just very confident of the various challenges we need to face kind of with those vessels. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 you get a bit hesitant to, to, to put it that way. So, yeah. so pay down that, uh, you know, make sure kind of your, your company is strong because we could be in an extended period of, of, uh, of low markets here, you know, if the world doesn't recover. We're not, you know, by no way out of the woods yet. Um, you know, just look around in Europe where, where uh, we're starting to, to, to discuss uh, lockdowns again. So, yeah. so um, but, uh, but, you know, first of all, we, we like to actually, you know, to, like, to, to, to pay back the investors for, for their um, kind of uh, confidence and then they can reinvest if they want to. The last three briefly, Stuart. Very briefly. Um, we, uh, we've sold about half our ships the past year, so we paid down all our debt. Um, we're going to wait a bit and buy some secondhand tonnage. And I'm going to correct you, there's no such thing as extra cash. Excess. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to continue to focus on on paying down debt for the short term, and then looking into 2021, we'll just have to see how the market develops and where asset prices are, and, and make a decision on on the best uh, capital allocation for our shareholders next year. But at the moment, we're going to continue to pay down debt. Harris finishes off. Okay, so we're trading at uh, huge discounts to NAV, so the continuing the share buyback program is a no-brainer. Uh, whatever is left uh, of that, uh, we're going to repay the $50 million of the Series C prep uh, by the end of October. And uh, then uh, we need some money for growth. Uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're always on the lookout for opportunities on, on the new building front with accretive uh, time charters. And uh, of course, have cash to, uh, to, to maintain the healthy dividend that uh, we've been paying all along. Sounds good. All right, I'm getting the hook here. So. Thanks again. Uh, thanks, thanks to all everybody. those participants. And uh, Nicholas, yeah. our pleasure. Thanks, Randy. Thank thanks, you. Randy. Good to see everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great panel.